This is The Guardian. Hey, Laura Murphy Oates here. Earlier this month, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced his resignation. The the, the last few years have been the greatest privilege of of my life. And it's true that I I helped to get the biggest Tory majority for 40 years and a a huge realignment in UK politics. With some memorable parting words. Hasta la vista, baby. (laughs) Thank you. Now, the race to become the next Prime Minister has been narrowed to two candidates, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. And this decision is the responsibility of Conservative Party members. Today, we're bringing you an episode from our global news podcast, Today in Focus, where The Guardian's political editor, Heather Stewart, talks to host Hannah Moore about these two candidates, their policy platforms, and how they plan to drag the UK out of a cost-of-living crisis that's only looking to worsen. Okay, here's Hannah Moore. Heather Stewart, you're The Guardian's political editor. The race for the Conservative leadership has come down now from 11 to the final two, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. Tell me a little bit about them as people. What do they seem to stand for and what are their backgrounds? Well, it's interesting because they're quite different in some ways and also very similar in others. So Rishi Sunak comes from quite a well-to-do background. He did this very slick leadership video where he said, let me tell you a story. And he talked about his immigrant grandmother who came here with almost nothing. Who boarded a plane armed with hope for a better life and the love of her family. However, by the time little Rishi arrives, his mum and dad are doing quite well. His mum's a pharmacist, his dad's a GP in Southampton. They are clearly earning enough to send him to fancy public school called Winchester. I think he had a partial scholarship, but even so, not cheap. And off he goes then to Oxford University. And he takes the sort of financial, the city route. So even at university, he was apparently part of the, not the beer drinkers club or the hockey club, but the investment club, oh. where all the cool kids hang out, no doubt. What were the parties uh, like in the investment club? I can't imagine. I mix and match and then I go to see kids from an inner city state school and tell them, you know, to apply to Oxford and talk to them about people like me. And then I shock them at the end of chatting to them for half an hour and tell them I was at Winchester and, you know, one of my best friends is from Eton or whatever, you know, and, and then they're like, oh, OK. So off he then goes to the city. He works for Goldman Sachs. He goes across to Stanford on the west coast of the United States to get an MBA, which is the business degree that lots of city type characters do. And also, we should say, meets his fabulously wealthy wife, very fortunately for him, while he's over there and comes back, is independently then quite wealthy, decides to go into politics and he's a sort of late joiner in a sense because he only stands as an MP in 2015 in the Yorkshire seat of Richmond, nice leafy bit of Yorkshire. Madam Deputy Speaker, thank you for allowing me to make my first contribution to this House. So he's only been an MP for seven years and now he's this close to being leader. He's had a quite a meteoric rise. He was catapulted quite quickly into ministerial roles and then again quickly into the cabinet because he came out and supported Boris Johnson at an early stage in the 2019 leadership campaign. And quite a few people who did that were rewarded with seats around the top table. Rishi Sunak was one of those. He was Chancellor from 2020 to earlier this year, a couple of weeks ago, when he resigned, helping to precipitate Boris Johnson's departure. And here he is now running for the leadership. And Liz Truss, what's her story? 
Liz Truss, you could say, comes from a different background. So she has certainly stressed the fact that she went to a comprehensive school. Brackets, so did the vast majority of the population. But anyway, maybe in conservative circles, this sort of marks you out as an interesting character. But came from a sort of middle class home. And then we should say goes to Oxford University, does PPE, exactly the same degree as Rishi Sunak has done. So in a sense, they've taken contrasting paths. And in a sense, there's quite a familiar route there. Interesting thing about Truss is that she was not a Conservative from an early age. So she was a Liberal Democrat. Speaker is Elizabeth Truss from Oxford West and Abingdon. And There's this footage of her as a young teenage Liberal Democrat standing on the stage at Liberal Democrat conference. She'd also campaigned against the monarchy. We do not believe that people should be born to rule or that they should put up and shut up about decisions that affect their everyday lives. Do you, conference, believe that? Do you? She talks about the fact that at some point she realised that there were sort of low expectations of people and she blamed that on the left and so she's had this sort of journey to the right and now is this strong advocate of freedom, she would say. She's been in Parliament a bit longer than Rishi Sunak since 2010. She's also done very senior jobs and, of course, for a year or so has been Foreign Secretary and has used that role very well. You know, we've seen lots of glorious photo ops in which she looks a little bit like Margaret Thatcher in various sort of poses. And it was pretty clear for a long time that she was someone who was going to want to stand for the leadership. We should say as well, in contrasting the pair of them, that Sunak was a Brexit supporter. Liz Truss campaigned very vehemently for Remain, although now, of course, sets herself up as a very strong Brexiter. So we've got two candidates who've been working in the Cabinet side by side for several years, so they know each other well. What's their relationship like? I think it's fair to say it's quite spiky. Liz, in your past, you've been both a Liberal Democrat and a Remainer. I was just wondering which one you regretted most. (laughs) I am somebody who was not born into the Conservative Party. But my fundamental belief and the reason I am a Conservative is I saw kids at my school being let down in Leeds. I saw them not get the opportunities, not get the proper educational standards that you might have got at your school, Rishi. feel just a little bit that they're different sorts of personalities, really. Sunak is a sort of doing all the homework nerd and <laughs> who's always sort of super well briefed and knows all the... Very sort of, eager. Yes, very eager, probably top of the class. Liz Truss, slightly different character, I think. She has a sort of real force of personality rather than being the best brief person in the world. They have a different sort of approach to life, I think. And so it's not that surprising that they're not great mates. And in fact, the pair of them, as the sort of probable frontrunners, pulled out of a television debate that was supposed to take place this week, exactly because the feeling was the impression that was being created was of a party that was kind of falling apart. They were tearing chunks out of each other. Mm, And we have access to all of that now, because obviously in the past we wouldn't have had all these TV debates. We wouldn't be privy to this long-winded process of picking a leader. But I guess that format encourages them to start bringing out personal jibes in that sense. Yeah, and it's fascinating and a bit gory to watch. And in fact, Labour 
quite quickly packaged up a little campaign video. Literally all it was was the different Tory leadership candidates saying what they thought was going wrong with the country and society. Okay. Higher food prices, higher petrol Thank prices. Thank People need help now. We make promises we can't keep. It's not just wrong, it's dangerous. We cannot make it worse. If Rishi has got this great plan for growth, why haven't we seen it in his last two and a half years at the Treasury? I'm finding it very difficult to understand who's So they really haven't been holding back in these debates. But considering that they did both have high-level roles in Boris Johnson's cabinet, what's their position on him now? So Liz Truss is regarded more as the sort of continuity Boris candidate. So she didn't resign from cabinet as Rishi Sunak did. She remained there supporting Boris Johnson to the last She also has the support of some of Johnson's closest loyalists. So Nadine Dorries, the Culture Secretary, Jacob Rees-Mogg, the Brexit Opportunities Minister. And there's a sense, I think, that Boris Johnson, number 10, feel that Sunak was disloyal. He's been working on his leadership campaign for a while. Blame him for Johnson's departure. However, should say that he was an early supporter of Boris Johnson's leadership campaign. He backed him all of this time. He's never come out until the very last moments and said, you know, I think there's a problem here. I think Boris Johnson needs to go. And he was also made a point of saying at his leadership launch, Boris Johnson's flawed, but we're all flawed. And he's got a good heart. Good heart. Got a good heart. I will have no part in a rewriting of history that seeks to demonise Boris exaggerate his faults or deny his efforts. So it was interesting, I thought, that even though you and I might think you would want to present yourself as a fresh start, actually both the remaining candidates have felt the need to show that there have been supporters of Johnson. I should add that in the most recent television debate, there was an interesting moment where the presenter asked the candidates, put up your hand if you would give Boris Johnson a job in your cabinet. If he wished to serve... Would you have Boris Johnson in your cabinet if you were PM? Not a single person. And none of them, including Liz Truss, put up their hands. The issue that keeps coming up again and again and again through this leadership campaign is the economy. In broad terms, what is the current state of the UK economy? Well, it's quite grim, as I think anybody looking at their grocery bill or their energy bill or how much it costs to fill up the car will tell you. Inflation is at a 40-year high. It's something most of us have not seen in our adult lifetimes. And it's really, really tough out there for people. And we saw earlier in the year Rishi Sunak mishandle this really. He made a spring statement which had some policies in it to try and help but it was widely felt not enough and he had to come back just a few weeks later and announce more help. So there are some government schemes in place, some of them don't come into the autumn but the broad picture is of a really really tough economy out there where a lot of people are seeing their real wages fall year on year and struggling to make ends meet and so that's why this issue of the economy has been such a big one. So what are they proposing to do about it? The candidates only seem to have or of what we've seen of their arguments so far only seem to have a single solution to that and its tax cuts and a lot of economists would tell you and certainly 
our economics editor, Larry Elliott, has written about this, that's not going to get you anywhere near where you need to be in terms of rekindling growth, getting the economy back on its feet again, and also helping the people at the bottom of the pile who most need help, many of whom don't pay income tax, for example, anyway, and won't benefit from the recipe that the Conservative candidates have. You know, if you look internationally, our tax burden isn't super high. And I think a lot of people would say to you, if you ask them what the big problem is, part of it is, oh, you know, I can't get a GP's appointment or my mum had to wait ages for an ambulance or the social care system's crumbling or whatever else. Obviously, tax cuts not only doesn't solve that, but potentially takes you in the other direction if you end up having to do cuts to have to pay for them. It's a sort of a caricature almost of Thatcherism. Let's pick apart their different approaches to tax, though. As you said, both proposing tax cuts, but Sunak is saying, I'm not going to make them now. Liz Truss wants to go straight ahead with them. Yeah, that's right. And Truss would reverse some of the tax increases that have already come in, including the increase in national insurance, which was put in place to pay for dealing with the NHS COVID backlogs and making social care a little bit more affordable for people. It's not completely clear whether she would still spend that money on the NHS and social care. And it's not at all clear how she would pay for these tax cuts. She's also saying she wouldn't do some corporation tax increases that are due to come in in the spring. At the same time, she wants to increase spending too. She wants to spend a lot more on defence. I mean, it's really unclear where the money comes from for this. Yeah, Truss is pledging about £30 billion of tax cuts. Yeah, if you sort of step back from it and ask what would the Tories have said if Labour were proposing something like this without saying where it's going to come from, they would have been absolutely screaming. Uh, and certainly in the days of Jeremy Corbyn's quite radical policies, you know, they weren't suggesting 30 billion quid worth of unfunded promises. It's far more radical than anything that, that was suggested even then. There is something to this. She has this idea that you don't need to rush to pay back the debt that we accumulated during the COVID period. So she's got an odd idea about somehow refinancing the debt. I'm not sure how practical that is. But there is something to the idea that Rishi Sunak wants to get quite quickly back towards balance in the public finances. She thinks, actually, this is a big debt that we've accumulated because of a big crisis. Why don't we spend a little bit longer paying it down? What's the rush? Which is not completely mad. The risk is that the financial markets lose faith in you and that you see the cost of borrowing rise. The risk is also that quite a lot of the money that you hand back to people in tax cuts is spent and that adds to inflation, which makes the Bank of England increase interest rates more quickly, you know, which clobbers people in a different way. So it's quite bold, I would say, what she's suggesting and not something I would necessarily have expected from a small C Conservative. Sunak's being more cautious, isn't he? Sunak, by contrast, he believes a big dividing line between Labour and the Conservatives, and this was certainly true in 2010 and 2015, should be we, the Conservatives, are the guys who are really credible looking after the economy. So Labour would squander loads of cash. This is a sort of George Osborne argument. We're the guys who repair the public finances. He thinks that's very important. He thinks it's risky to go ahead with tax cuts. And in fact, he'd already said in that spring statement I mentioned, I will cut income tax by a penny in 2024. He's saying, yes, I will do that. But right now, there's a big problem of inflation. We need to get that under control first. Talking about tax can sound academic, but it's caused them to have some properly fiery exchanges. I'd love to stand here and say, look, I'll cut this tax, that tax and another tax, and it will all be okay. But you know what? 
It won't. So Rishi Sunak ended up calling Liz Truss's policy socialist. And you know what? This something for nothing economics isn't conservative, uh, it's uh, socialism. Which is quite a stretch, I would <laughs> I would argue. And she said that the tax increases that he's announced are going to choke off the economy and send us into recession. We are predicted to have a recession because you have raised tax. It is cutting back on growth. It's pretty extraordinary to see that, particularly from colleagues who've sat round the cabinet table together and signed up to those policies. As you've said... For most people, though, the biggest issue right now is not tax cuts. It's whether they can afford to put petrol in their car or whether they can afford their grocery shopping or whether they can afford to heat their homes. What are both of these candidates planning to do in terms of bringing down the cost of living? We haven't heard very much so far about it, to be quite honest, particularly given that whoever wins will become prime minister on the 6th of September, you've then got about a month until energy bills increase really dramatically again. Sunak, I think, thinks that he's already put this programme in place, this thing that he announced earlier in the year, which is every household gets £400 off their bill. The poorest households can get up to £1,200 with sort of various different schemes added together. I think his sense is, OK, we've done that. And he also talks about bringing down inflation by being cautious about the public finances, being cautious about public sector pay increases and so on. Trust, I don't think we've heard very much from in terms of immediate help, apart from these tax cuts. We will cut taxes, helping businesses invest in their future. We'll tackle the cost of energy and we'll control government spending. But as I say, they don't get money through to the poorest in society who will most need it. So I think it's going to be potentially quite a rocky autumn almost immediately after whoever you know arrives in number 10. It is a pretty dire situation, isn't it? And what we're talking about here is them trying to improve an economy that their party, the Conservatives, have been in control of for the past 13 years. Boris Johnson's big idea was to level up the country to make sure that wealth, transport opportunities were going to be more evenly spread throughout the country. How important does levelling up seem to be to these two? So we really haven't heard a great deal about it in this leadership race, which has been very striking, I think. Certainly Sunak signed off on the three-year spending review that does involve quite a bit of money for transport links, for pots of money, for improving high streets or doing local projects outside London. Trust, however, wants to reopen that spending review. She would have to do some cuts, you would think, because of these tax cuts she wants to pay for. Unclear what would suffer. But certainly we've heard about defence in the campaign. We've heard about tax cuts. We really haven't heard very much about what their project is for Britain, really. During the TV debates during this campaign, several of the candidates, notably Penny Morden, who finished third, and Kemi Badenoch, who finished fourth, focused on so-called culture war issues. They were forced into stating their positions. But I haven't really seen Truss or Sunak be drawn on those issues. Do we have any signs of what either of them think? And and if so, will they be willing to weaponise those issues to appeal to certain sections of the media or certain parts of the electorate? So I would suspect they may not be miles apart on those issues. 
Rishi Sunak said at some point that we have to be able to call a mother a mother. On the other hand, I don't think he's gone out of his way to pick a fight about these issues. So I don't think he's an anti-woke warrior in the way perhaps that Truss has a touch of. Certainly she was on the other side of the argument to Penny Mordaunt. She took over as an equalities minister after Mordaunt and was, was part of the decision. You know, Mordaunt, we think, wanted to make self-ID for transgender people easier to take away some of the, the medical restrictions on it. Trust reversed that. So trust is, is probably more anti-woke, if we want to call it that, and probably happier taking on some of those sort of culture war issues. Now is the time to end the culture of self-doubt, the constant self-questioning and introspection, the ludicrous debates about languages statues and pronouns. I was looking at polling of Conservative Party members yesterday and, you know, so YouGov had asked them what qualities will you be looking for in a leader? Only about 8% specified anything that was to do with these sort of culture war issues. Lots of it was about personality and character and tax and spending. And, you know, so I think some of these things play really well for particular audiences, but, but you know, are not front and centre of the, of the debate. What other issues reveal the differences between these two candidates? What about the climate crisis? We've been living through Britain's hottest ever heat wave. You'd expect that the future possible leaders of this country would have something big to say about that. How are they proposing to tackle climate change? So they're both in this slightly odd position where they effectively accept net zero and the target, which is in legislation, of course, but have some reservations about how we get there. So Rishi Sunak put out a release saying very in favour of net zero. He, he often says when he's asked about this, hey, I've got daughters and, you know, they're not interested in any part of my job. But the thing they do ask me is, Daddy, what are you going to do about the climate? About the environment. In the same way I care about our borrowing and debt and what we're passing on to our children and grandchildren, I care about the climate and the environment that I'm leaving them. But one of the lines in this statement was, he was going to reverse government plans to relax restrictions on onshore wind, which sort of makes you feel his heart is maybe not quite in it. And there's this sense that, you know, Boris Johnson, for all his faults, I think was actually quite serious about the net zero, the climate stuff. And there is a sense that perhaps Sunak certainly wasn't or rather didn't feel the state had a big role in that. Truss as well has talked about the, the green levies that are charged on any energy bills and she's also talked about the need for more nuclear but again it's it's kind of yes okay I'll accept the target but let's not try and make anyone pay too much to get there I wouldn't say either of them are enthusiastic adherents of net zero or are proposing a very sort of radical change in the way that we go about doing things to achieve it Coming up, from two candidates to one winner, what happens next in the leadership race? Heather, can you lay it out for us then? How is this contest going to run from now until September the 5th, when the winner will be announced? 
how can it possibly go on that long? Yeah. <laughs> so what happens now is, so the MPs have done their bit. They've narrowed the field down to two. And now it's Conservative Party members who get to choose. So there's about 160,000 of them, we think. They don't actually publish numbers, but we think that's about how many they are. They're disproportionately male, white, middle-aged or older. And they will get their ballot papers quite soon in the first week of August. And meanwhile, the candidates will crisscross the country for, I think, a dozen hustings with Conservative Party members where they'll get to ask questions. You know, you would suspect that quite a few people may make their decision quite early on. And actually, it's Rishi Sunak now, although he came top of the MPs poll, he's really, in a sense, the underdog here because all of the polling of members, while it's been a little bit all over the place, what it has told you consistently is that he is behind. So there was a YouGov poll, the most recent one, that if you put the two up against each other, had Truss on 54% of the vote and Sunak on 35 He's consistently been a lot lower than her and she's been a sort of darling of, of the members. So he's got a bit of a mountain to climb. And the Labour Party, how has Keir Starmer been viewing this leadership competition? And do we know which of these two candidates he'd be more fearful to go up against in the next general election? I actually think they're not that worried about either of them. Certainly Labour has attack lines well prepared against Sunak. And we've already sort of heard some of those. Keir Starmer's already rehearsed some of those at Prime Minister's questions. You know, he talks about his his tax affairs. It's quite easy to knock him for being fabulously wealthy and therefore out of touch. You know, maybe it doesn't matter in normal times if you're fabulously wealthy. But, you know, the guy's building a, a swimming pool in his paddock and he's going to be in charge of a country where people can't afford to put food on their table. So, you know, that's, that's an easy attack line. And also, of course, his record, I was very struck by the fact that at Rishi Sunak's launch they had lots of people holding up sort of cardboard signs and some of them said rebuild the economy and you thought you're the guy who's been running it you know so I think Boris Johnson was very good at presenting himself as a change candidate in 2019 even though he'd been around for a long time somehow he was the fresh new thing when compared to Theresa May it's going to be much harder I think for Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss to do that Truss I think the argument against her will be these unfunded tax cuts. Um, And I think Rachel Reeves, who really wants to present Labour as very sensible on the public finances, will absolutely rip into this idea that you can just cut taxes and willy-nilly and not not think about how to fund it. And they will immediately say, right, what are you going to cut? You know, are you going to cut back schools? Are you going to cut back hospitals? How are you going to pay for this? Finally, Heather, this will be the last leadership contest that you'll be covering as politics editor. You may well be glad about that. (laughs) Mixed Uh, feelings, I would say. Looking back at your time in this role, what would you say this contest symbolises about where politics in the UK is going? I always try not to get personally involved at all in any of these things because it's not good for your reporting. However, um, since you've asked me, I do find it quite depressing. I feel like... We have a Conservative Party that's really run out of road, really tired, really lacking in sort of fresh ideas, given the scale of the crisis the country faces, whether it's the cost of living crisis, whether it's net zero. We saw those fires ripping through London this week, sort of extraordinary temperatures, which really makes you think, you know, my God, we need to set ourselves in a sort of completely fresh direction. And there just isn't a sense of that at all. You've got 
politics set in a kind of odd, you know, Rishi Sunak feels like a sort of George Osborne tribute and Liz Truss feels like a sort of Margaret Thatcher tribute when neither of those things, you know, the deficit is not the biggest problem the economy's facing. It's not the 70s, quite clearly. And so whether you blame the sort of chaos wrought by Brexit or whether it's just a party that's been in power for a long time, what we're left with is this very, very narrow idea of, you know, what Britain could be and what solutions there might be to the the big problems we're facing. And you, you hope that, you know, looking across the aisle, that might come from the other side. It might come from Labour. Not sure we've seen it yet, but maybe this is a moment for them to sort of build a platform and show us what they could do because it feels to me that you know this is not a party the conservatives that are fizzing with ideas that are ready to renew that have a new generation that are are ready to sort of rebuild britain much as it's been such an amazing privilege to watch it all close up completely fascinating and i've you know this is the third tory leadership race i've covered they've all been really fascinating in different ways you know it's quite depressing too and (laughs) there's a bit of me that thinks Maybe I don't want to watch this quite as close up from here on in, at least for a while. (laughs) Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you. That was Guardian's political editor, Heather Stewart, talking to Hannah Moore. You can read more of Heather's reporting at theguardian.com. And I do recommend her article, Tories Brace for Blue on Blue Dogfight in Last Round of Leadership Race. This episode of Today in Focus was produced by Courtney Youssef, Joshua Kelly, and Anawa Abakamensa. Sound designed by Rudy Zagardlo. The executive producers of Today in Focus are Phil Maynard and Elizabeth Casson. Additional production on this episode by Joe Koning. Okay, we'll be back with a regular episode of Full Story tomorrow. Catch you then. <laughs>